Good evening, everybody. Grace and peace. Um, my name is Brett. I'm the pastor here, and it's just wonderful, wonderful to um, welcome all of you. And um, that, of course, oh, that sounded intense. Was that our banner? <laughs> our mysterious banner. Hopefully, this one holds. We'll see. <laughs> um, well, I wanted to um, also welcome those joining us online. Um, we love you lots. I hope, uh, I know the sound team was working frantically to try to get things uh, going well online. We, this is our first time with a new sound system. Um, so, you know, we're working out the kinks and figuring all that out. And uh, so at any rate, we love you online, even if, you know, we're still um, figuring out our tech for you. Sorry if it was, if it was a little bit rough. <laughs> um, and I also want to welcome those of you who are new and um, just kind of, you know, settling in, finding, finding your um, way to the table where uh, we're just, yeah, grateful, grateful that you're here. And we really long to be um, just a, you know, an inclusive people, um, welcoming, hospitable. That's really our heart. So uh, at any rate, I hope that you, you know, sense that you can, you can start to feel that and, and pick up on that. So, all right, y'all, we are kicking off a, a brand new series tonight. It is titled... First Peter, uh, part one. The reason uh, it's part one is because, well, as you probably picked up, we're, we're going to be walking through the book of First Peter, um, but I was going to try to cover the whole book in five weeks, because that's right before Advent, um, which is kind of the Christmas season in the church calendar, um, and I thought, you know, that's crazy. Like, no, I can't do that. So what we're going to do is um, we'll just take this in kind of pieces. So I'm going to do chapter one. We'll work on chapter one through um, up until Advent. So um, that'll let us kind of settle in a little bit and uh, take things, you know, nice and slow and, and really be able to chew on and kind of understand the book. Um, if you've been around the table for a while, you know that we kind of do different types of series. Sometimes we'll do more topical, like we just finished a whole series on deconstruction um, and, you know, kind of wrestling with faith and doubt and all those things. Um, so at times we'll do more topical things. Other times we'll do um, kind of jump on the church calendar like we will for Advent and um, do things like that. And then other times we'll do just like a book of the Bible. So that's what we're doing with, uh, with First Peter. So just to give you, I want to start with a little bit of background on the book um, for those who um, just, it just may not be all that familiar. Uh, so the book of First Peter, authored by Peter, Apostle of Jesus. Uh, you probably guessed that one by the name Peter. Um, so it actually, there's, you know, there's various scholars who think maybe someone else wrote it. Maybe it was like um, kind of a community of Peter, and there's, so they're kind of writing in his name. You know, so those things, are, it's possible, but um, there seems to be pretty good reason to believe it actually was um, just literally Peter, the apostle. Uh, and he's writing probably around the year, about 64, maybe 65 A.D., so this would be, you know, maybe 30 years or so after um, Christ's resurrection and ascension. Uh, he's writing from Rome, um, which really impacts the, the whole book um, and kind of shapes how we, how we read and interpret it. So we know this because uh, he writes at the very end of the book, chapter 5, verse 13, he talks about, he says, basically, like, I'm writing from Babylon. And, um, of course, Babylon at this time, like, it had been gone for hundreds of years so we know it's not Babylon. Like, it's, he's using that term. He's, he's talking about Rome without saying Rome, much like, actually, the book of Revelation does that as well. So when it talks about, you know, Babylon in, in very evocative language, I won't, I won't quote the book of Revelation. <laughs> it's pretty intense. Um, but it doesn't have nice things to say about Babylon. <laughs> we'll just put it that way. And, uh, and it's a way of talking about Rome. 
So uh, that's kind of a, a common theme in, uh, in the first uh, century Christians. So uh, the audience location. So he's writing from Rome, but he's writing to Christians in um, what we would probably call just modern-day um, Turkey. Uh, so it's kind of that, you know, Asia Minor kind of area. Um, he's writing to Gentile Christians. Uh, this, again, becomes important later as we start to interpret the book. Um, you know, who the audience is and their own mindset kind of matters for how you, how you read it. Um, so at any rate, that's uh, their background. They're Gentile Christians, not Jewish Christians. Um, the audience context, they're facing some mild persecution. Uh, this is why as we go throughout the book, you'll see the theme of suffering comes up over and over and over. I say mild because um, as best we can tell, they, it wasn't that they were necessarily being like killed for their faith. Uh, instead, they were, um, it was more like it was just very socially unpopular to be Christian. And so they're facing a lot of, you know, kind of slander and maybe even job loss, you know, when people find out they're a Christian, you know, things like that. So it was um, kind of a stigma in their, their kind of um, wing of the world to be a Christian at this time. So, all right, so that's some of the, the background, which um, I, I give you so that as we get into this, I think it'll help inform, you know, how we read um, and interpret this, this text. So uh, with that in mind, the title of my message tonight is Strangers and Seeds, Strangers and Seeds. And we're going to start with just um, verses 1 and 2 tonight. Um, if you're wondering, like, how are we going to only get through chapter 1 in five weeks? Well, that's how. Just two verses tonight. <laughs> so we'll start here. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. You ever wonder where I got that grace and peace? That's what I you know, tend to open my messages with, and um, I'm just totally taking it from the Bible. Uh, it's not custom to me. <laughs> um, so I want to start by giving you just kind of like my big idea for tonight. And this is sort of like the whole message in just a few lines. And then we'll kind of unpack it, sort of part one. Um, well, let me, give you, let me give you the big idea, and then we'll get into it. Uh, so I believe that Christians, um, Christians are called to be strangers and seeds. Uh, strangers to the surrounding culture and seeds of kingdom culture. Um, because at the end of the day, the book of First Peter, it's, it's really, I mean, it's a book written to a church community. And so they're really wrestling with the question, um, what on earth does it mean to be the church? Like, in other words, you might say, okay, Jesus is Lord. Yes and amen. Awesome. Now what? Right? Like, how should we then live? What, what, what now? And, and really specifically, um, you know, what does it mean to be, he'll use this language later, um, a peculiar people? That will be a real theme of First Peter. What, what does it mean to be, like, what's, in other words, what's unique about Christians? Uh, other than maybe, like, well, we believe some things. Like, okay, yes, but, like, in your living, right, what's different? What's unique? What, what's, the, what's the call of God? Like, how does that actually look? Does it make us look different at all? You know, that's, that's what they're wrestling with. Um, 
So the answer, of course, I mean, it's elaborated. He gets into this, you know, throughout the whole book. Um, but I think we get really the first kind of hint, the first little indication of what um, he, what Peter believes the church is called to be. And it's found in two words in this opening um, verse. This is where he gives really what we might call his ecclesiology. That's a very fancy theological word. Just means basically your doctrine of the church or your understanding of um, who the church is called to be, what we, what she is called um, to do. And we get it right here in verse one. When he looks at these Christians from Turkey, and it's 2,000 years ago, and he looks at them, and he opens by saying, you are exiles. You are, in other words, you are strangers in a strange land. You are foreigners. That's his language. Um, you, it was literally... Um, here, we'll read it again. He says, to the exiles of the dispersion. That's the key words. Strangers and seeds, which we'll get into the seed part later. You are exiles to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so the reason it's a little bit strange for him to open this way um, is because, again, think these are Gentile Christians, right? If they were Jewish Christians, then you say, oh, I get it. Like, you know, they're, they're kind of Jewish roots, so they were, when Babylon conquered them, they were scattered all over the world, and they're like longing to return to the Holy Land, you know, to Jerusalem. And so he says to the exiles, you know, God is with you, and ah, oh, it makes sense. And yet, but that's the thing. That's why the audience matters. They're not Jewish Christians. They're Gentile Christians. In other words, all these strange words that we read, you know, this Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, like these things don't mean a lot to us, but of course it meant a lot to them. That's called their home, right? Like this is this is because he's not even writing just to one church; he's writing to the region. So these are these are like this is these are their homes, and so it's it's just a, it is it's a little bit strange, right? For him and so look at here, and his opening line is to the exiles. It's a little bit like if I had to go on a trip or something, and I wrote you all a letter, and I opened it with this line: Brett, a pastor of Jesus Christ to the exiled strangers of the dispersion in Saxe, Wiley, Fate, in Princeton, Texas. Right? You would just be like, you're weird. <laughs> you know, like, why did you, what? You know, like, hello, all you foreigners in a strange land. You know, it's just like, what are you, and the reason it's weird is because we're not. Like, we're not exiles. We're not, like, born and raised here. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I imagine that's what a lot of people, I'm imagining these Christians 2,000 years ago, probably had a very similar reaction, where they're like, Peter, like, why are you calling us, you know, foreigners, exiles, strangers? We've lived here our whole life. In fact, honestly, Peter, we're, like, very comfy here. Like, very comfortable here. We like it here. And I think to that, Peter would say, exactly. Two. What he's getting at is Peter's naming that we so easily um, get caught up in our kind of earthly, worldly, sort of just the cultures that surround us, and that we just get pulled right in. It's a little bit, uh, if you've ever been in the ocean and like the tide, you know how it just, like when it's really going out, and you're not even like trying to go out to sea, but all of a sudden, if that tide gets to pulling you, it's like you're swimming towards shore, but you're like, the shore is not getting closer. Oh gosh, this isn't a good moment. You know, if anyone ever had a little bit of that moment, or where um, 
I've used this metaphor too, or this picture where the tide will kind of carry you down. Have you ever done that? Like you've been swimming in an area, and you keep looking up, and every time, right? I'm leaving my online people. Sorry, I'm over here. Um, right? It's like, what's happening? You're getting pulled down the shore, and you're like, and you, you know, you're swimming, and you keep looking up, and it's farther, far, and maybe you had like a hotel that, you know, started off like a way in the air, and all of a sudden, it's like a little speck in the distance. What's going on? It's just pulling you out. Like, that's the perfect picture of culture, right? We just get, it's just, the, it's the air we breathe. It's the waters we swim in. It's just our context. We don't even think, you don't even have to try. Just, it just happens. And if you think about it, like, we have actually a number of cultures. We've got Texas culture in all of its beauty and horror, you know, kind of crazy. Um, we've got Ameri- just broader American culture, again, with its beauty and not good at all at times, right? Completely antithetical to the way of Jesus. We've got, um, what else? Like even our kind of family cultures. Um, even thinking of the way, you know, just with 24-7 news and such, like the way that um, kind of mass media has a powerful influence, right? Left, right, center, wherever you are, powerful, right? There's a whole kind of culture, a vibe in Republican politics, right? A certain way, a certain vision of the good life and a certain way of being in the world that that kind of calls people to, and the same for Democrats, right? There's a certain vision of the good life, certain values and things, and there can be beauty in these, and also they can be completely antithetical, completely in opposition to the way of Jesus, right? But what happens? We just get, we don't even have to think about it, you know what I mean? You just turn on your Tucker Carlson, your Rachel Maddow, or whoever you, and you just listen to them over and over, and right? And it just sinks, it just pulls you right out to sea. Yeah, you can tell this series is going to be real, right? This, I mean, this is where I think the Bible, it matters, right? Like he's speaking. He, this isn't like, whoa, how irrelevant, like weird language exiles, the dispersions, Bible. Like he's speaking right to us. And so what he's naming is that we get so caught up in these cultures that ultimately we, we end up leaving Christ's kingdom culture behind. Or or you might even say um, the whole time, maybe even we're calling ourselves Christians, and yet we might even fail to like dip our toes into Christ's kingdom culture, right? That what he called the kingdom of God, which it's sort of his vision of the good life, his vision of what human flourishing looks like, his kind of call for his people and who we're called to be. Right? Like, we could say, say, Jesus, Jesus. I mean, some of you remember the passage where he talks about, some will say, you know, many will say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, I have no idea who you are. Right? So, well, what do you mean? It's like, I said, Jesus. I sang the songs. Maybe even raised my hands, you know? I don't know. Uh, right? It's, it's about a culture. It's about a call. It's, a, it's about a way of life. Here's how... Um, the theologian and philosopher Dallas Willard put it, which I uh, really love Dallas Willard. If you need a, like a good Christian to read, find anything by Dallas Willard. It's wonderful. Uh, he says this, uh, the greatest issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians, will they become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner 
of existence. In other words, I think what he's naming is that there are a lot of Christians, and let's, we don't have to talk about the world, let's just talk about like our context, right? The United States. There's like a lot of Christians here. Um, in fact, there was a, a Pew Research Center that did a, uh, a survey back in 2020, and they found that 65% of adults in the United States identified themselves as Christian, um, which is a pretty substantial number. Like, well, um, in fact, in 1990, it was actually higher. Back then in 1990, so 30 years back, it was um, 85%. But now it's kind of slipped. But still, 65%. Now you're wondering, well, how many does that translate to? Well, there's 330 million people in the United States, um, roughly. So a little math. I've had to do more math recently. I got a junior higher. So I didn't realize you go back to school as an adult. I didn't know you did that when you had kids. But turns out you do. So a little back of the napkin math. So 65% of 330 is 214 million. Let that sink in. 214 million Christians in just the United States, not the world. Like the United, 214 million. And now what Dallas Willard is asking the question, he's saying, okay, so there's 65%, 214 million people are like, yep, Team Jesus. But he's asking the question, yes, but the great, the reason we have such a crisis in our world is because out of those 214 million, how many people are actually saying, Jesus, I want to live like you lived. I want to love like you love. I, I want... Um, your kind of patience, your kind of compassion, your kind of courage. I, I, the way you related to people, I want to relate just like that. Oh, God, would you teach me how to do it every day? Would you teach me how can you Can you see the difference between like, oh, yeah, sure, team Jesus, uh, Christian, and I want to apprentice myself to you. I, I want to be a student of yours. That's a whole different level. Um, in other words, it's much more than simply getting saved, right? As this is sort of the language oftentimes in the culture, it's sort of like, you know, we need to get saved. Have you been saved? Have you been saved? You'll actually notice if you stick around the table for any length of time, I don't do like a whole lot of like getting saved kind of messages or even kind of getting saved, like raise your hand right now if you want to believe. Um, and I'm not uh, opposed to those. And occasionally I will do that. But the reason I don't do a lot of those is actually for this reason, that what we can have, um, well, to put it in Dallas Willard's, to see it from his angle, we have a whole lot of people in the United States, quote unquote, getting saved, right? Maybe millions being baptized each year, far fewer apprenticing themselves to Jesus Christ. Can you see the, the, the difference? Right? And this, man, this matters. Now, you might wonder, like, okay, what, did it mean, what would it mean to apprentice myself to Jesus? This is sort of strange language, you know? Um, let me give you just two, like, very easy steps. Um, first, read and reflect on Jesus' words. I, I don't believe any Christian, like, we never mature or get too good to simply read the Bible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, isn't it interesting? We can kind of just easily leave that behind. Of like, well, I'm not really a Bible person, you know, and like, okay. But there is something about like, and, and specifically, um, 
reading the four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Like, keep those in heavy rotation. Because, in other words, how can we say, like, I want to follow Jesus, you know? And then, like, you know, never read what he taught. Or, you know what I mean? Like, that would be a strange, it's sort of, I've used this example before, too. Like, imagine if you met, like, um, a, a Buddhist, say. And so, you've, if you know anything about Buddhists, you know they're into meditation. And so, you're talking to the Buddhist, and you're like, oh, that's so interesting, you're a Buddhist. So, tell me about your meditation practice. Do you, like, meditate every day? And imagine if they're like, meditation? Oh, no, no, no. No, I don't meditate. Like, oh, I thought you were a Buddhist. Like, oh, yeah, I am. But you don't, no, med no meditating for you? No. Never meditated a day in my life, <laughs> right? It would be a little bit like, oh, I was hoping to meet like a real Buddhist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and I wonder if it's similar, right? For us, if they were like, oh, you're a Christian. Oh, it's so interesting. So what's your favorite teaching of Jesus? I'll bet you have a favorite passage from the Sermon on the Mount, don't you? Chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. Oh, tell me, what's your favorite one? You know, we're like, uh, yeah. Sermon on the what? Sermon on the Mount? You know, um, this can be a, right, a real problem. This is, this is the thing Willard's naming of 214 million. And, and just to be clear, I hope you can see my body language and my tone of voice. I'm not trying to shame anyone, right? That's not my heart, isn't to like, Rah! you know, but it's just to name, hey, y'all, like, we're a church, and we need to, like, follow Jesus and stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's kind of the, the call here. Um, so, for example, in um, coming back to the Sermon on the Mount, um, where, well, actually, before I get to that part, let me name this. We're always already apprenticing ourselves to someone. You know, um, for some of us, it's our Facebook feeds, um, TikTok feeds. I mentioned earlier, um, old Tucker or Rachel, you know. We have our various people that we're kind of apprenticing ourselves to, but we're, they're, our, they're the voice, right? And we have the ears for their voice, right? And so the question is, to what degree are we really doing that same thing with Jesus? And to what degree are we elevating his voice above all other voices? I think of that passage where he talks about, hey, the sheep, he's using the metaphor of us as sheep. He says, the sheep know my voice. They know my voice. Do we, do we know the voice? Or is is his voice, is his Christ's voice, is it getting drowned out in all of the other voices? And boy, in modern times, do we ever have all the other voices, don't we? I mean, imagine 2,000 years ago, if you could get a book, you know, or a scroll, it's like, oh my gosh, I have information. You know, it was like a special thing. You had to go to special places to like get information, you know? Today, oh my gosh, y'all, we are drowning in voices. So we've got, so it's about elevating the voice of Jesus and saying, okay, Lord, help me to hear again. Help me to hear. And this is why people often have a practice of reading the scriptures either at the beginning of the day or the end of the day, or sometimes both, right? And what's it? It's about bookending, right? It's like first thing in the morning, I'm going to take in that voice. Or at the very end of the day, right before I go to sleep and have all those dreams and the subconscious churns and churns on the, his voice, right? This is, this is um, it's incredibly important. So that's step one. Read and reflect on Jesus' words. Step two, we've got to seek to live them out. Makes sense, right? We, we've all been around maybe um, Christians or have been there ourselves. I've been there where, you know, you know the words. You know the teachings. You do know Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and perhaps you've even memorized it, you know, and yet you're a jerk. <laughs> this is, you know, the, you know, too many Christians today out of the 214 million, too many jerks. That's what makes me wonder, like, hmm, are we really apprenticing ourselves to Jesus? Because we seem real jerkish a lot of the time, you know. And just to be clear, I'll throw myself into that bus too. Like, we've, we've been there. Hopefully, though, by seeking to live them out, um, 
what happens. And, and just to give you something concrete, like Jesus says, for example, do not be angry. It's Matthew chapter 5. Don't be angry. And so when we hear that, as someone who wants to apprentice ourselves to Jesus, we say, okay, I'm going to live into that. Not perfectly, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. God, by your grace, your spirit, would you lead me and fill me and help me to become a less angry, bitter person, right? That's, or um, what else he said? Like, do not lust. Um, do not, um, don't hate your brother or your sister. He says, do your best to be reconciled relationally to everyone you can. It's also Matthew chapter five. Right, so this is what it means to be Christian is to like, oh, wow, okay, wow, things really have to change in my life, right? And I think that's why, coming back to Peter, right, this is why he's like, yep, too comfortable, too comfortable. I've got to be shaken up because I want to get my way more often with God. Like, yeah, I think you want to do that. Slowly over time, not all at once. Slowly over time, the character of Jesus, it becomes our character. Even though um, you still come from the same family, or you still live in Texas, or the United States, what happens? You start to become a little bit weird in a good way. Boy, the United States, we need some more weird Christians in a good way. Weird in their grace, weird in their lack of anger, weird in their wisdom, weird in their patience. Weird in their love. Weird in their love for, for justice and truth. Like, oh, we need it, don't we? Um, many of you know when we started uh, the table, I want to give you an example of this. We started the table a few years back, and um, it, was, it was really it was difficult. It was a challenging season. The, the church we came from, um, we had and, and really continue to have very deep relational roots there. Um, and so, um, I won't go into you know, all the detail, but, but there was basically there came a time where we just knew we wanted to start um, an inclusive church. We wanted a, a church home that um, would be welcoming of, of gay and lesbian folks and really anyone from the LGBTQ you know, community. And so we, we set out to you know, start this church, but right before we did that, um, we had to really negotiate and navigate the waters of how do we do this with our previous community, you know, and how do we, because um, they weren't necessarily on the same page, you know, um, and how do we walk this out and, you know, when it, but there reached a point there where we knew, like, we wouldn't be able to partner with them in the same way, you know, um, not like we were mortal enemies or something, we still love them deeply and they love us, but um, when we knew we couldn't, it wouldn't be the same, you know, we'd need to kind of start a separate organization. Um, Right at the end of that, right before we launched the table, we had, um, it was kind of the, maybe like, say, the patriarch. He might be the patriarch of the patriarch because his, he's the father of um, a leader at that church who's very influential. So he's sort of like the spiritual grandfather of a church. Um, he invited my wife and I, Maggie, um, invited us over for dinner. And um, I was like, oh, dinner, okay, yeah, sure, you know. I remember, I'll never forget, walking up the steps to his house. I mean, I've known this man for 30 years, you know, since I was like seven. So when I've gone up those steps before, you know, for like Sunday lunches and things way back in the day when I was a kid, you know. So it was strange to like walk up those steps and like, oh, my heart was just, 
I just, I don't know, I just didn't know what to expect. You know what I mean? Like, what's the vibe? What's the tone? What's the thing? What's the purpose? Why, why are we here exactly? What's the, what are we doing? I don't really know, you know? Oh, just that, that kind of moment. I remember we, we walk in, and um, he sits us down. They'd ordered some pizza, so we start munching on pizza and making small talk, you know, that awkward way you do. Of like, you, don't, you can't just launch right in, you know? You got to kind of ease into, you know, so small talk. And then we start kind of talking, and, um, and, and pretty quickly, as I knew going in, you know, we, we weren't necessarily on the same page, you know, exactly, um, on that kind of topic. Um, and yet, as we got into it, um, it turned into a really beautiful and profound conversation um, because, really, he never became reactionary with us the whole time. He, like, for example, he would, like, ask us questions, and, like, he was generally curious, like, so talk to me about, what are you, what are, not what are you thinking in a weird, you know, what are you thinking, not that, but, like, so ex- explain, like, unpack it, tell, ex- I want to understand, you know, and he starts asking questions, and then listening to us, imagine doing that in our culture, like, asking questions with someone you disagree with, and then, like, waiting for them to give an answer, you know, it's sort of like the opposite of Twitter, <laughs> you know, um, he, he never tried to manipulate us. He certainly never, like, blasted us emotionally. He, he didn't pressure us or, like, try to, like, well, I just think, you know, did, like, he didn't bring in the fear thing, you know, the fear, I just worried about, you know. Like, he just, the whole time, he was so gracious and patient and kind. And we finished that conversation, and literally, we're getting towards the end, and he looks at me and Maggie, and he says, well, I just want you to know that I love you very, very much. And nothing will ever change that. And I walk out his door, and I thought to myself, you know what? We disagree, and yet I just experienced the kingdom of God in that conversation. Like, I just interacted with a man who has followed Jesus for a long time. He's in his 80s. And he had apprenticed himself to Jesus Christ. And it had done such a good work in him. God had done such a good work in him that the character of Jesus had slowly but surely become his character. And so he could sit down with someone that he didn't completely understand. And yet, and yet the love of God could still like shine from him. You know, you know what's going on? He was weird in a good way. He was an exile, a stranger in a strange land. And that's essentially Peter's point in using this term, exiles. He's saying, oh, church, you citizens of Saxe and Wiley and Princeton and Fate and Capel, and we got people from all over. I won't try to go through all of them. He's saying, remember, remember that you are also citizens of the kingdom of Christ. Don't forget that you are apprentices to Jesus Christ. Because if you become too mainstream, then what happens? You can't be seeds. This is the second word he uses in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion the dispersion, then he goes through all the cities, you know, Pontus and Galatia, 
the dispersion. What's this a picture of? So the Greek word here for dispersion is diaspora. It's, it's um, the picture, it means to be sown abroad. So in the ancient world, when a, a farmer would sow their seed or, or plant, they, don't, they didn't necessarily plant in the way we imagine, like, oh, okay, they dug a hole in the ground and then dropped a seed and then covered it up. And, you know, they weren't like gardening like that. Instead, what they had was like this satchel just full of seed. I mean, almost down to the ground. You know, just this heavy satchel of seed. And they would dip their hand in, grab a handful of seed, and just fling it out. Like, that's how they planted, just whoosh, whoosh. And that's what Peter is naming is the picture. He's saying, what, what has happened? God has reached in his bag, he's plucked you up, and he has whoosh, planted you. He's planted you all over the metroplex and Christians all over the world. He, he has dispersed us. Not be, that, could, that image can be like, oh my gosh, it was like haphazard, you know? But no, 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 right? It's God we're talking about, so don't stretch the metaphor too far. Instead, in fact, actually, we'll get to this. This is the second verse, right? He looks at me and he says, because you, you who have been chosen and destined, right? That's not haphazard, right? You have been chosen. You've been destined by uh, God the Father, sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ, to be sprinkled with his blood. What, what those, those are all metaphors in, in language of, of purification and, and a cleansing, a healing. In other words, what he's saying is, look, God is doing a beautiful, healing, cleansing, life-giving work in you as you submit yourself to the kingdom, to kingdom culture, to the ways of Jesus, and then what is he going to do? He's going to fling you out, and he's going to plant you to bring life everywhere you go. That, that's the image. The exiles of the diaspora, of the dispersion. You are strangers, and you are seeds. A planting of the Lord. There's a passage, I'll close with this. This is from Isaiah chapter 61. And the poet, prophet Isaiah, he's foreseen a picture of the people of God. And he says this, They, the people of God, will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Isn't that beautiful? What, what's, he, what's he naming? He's really asking us, like, do you, do you realize you've been planted? And do you see that you've been planted among some devastation? Right? Any devastated people in your midst? I mean, what about at work, at school? Any devastated lives? Devastated relationships? Peter's naming, Isaiah's naming. Oh, don't forget. You're, you've been called to be a little bit weird, You've been called to be a stranger in exile so that you can be a seed, so that you can bring kingdom culture, Jesus culture, everywhere you go. And so, in so many ways, this is our mission. This is our call as a church. It's not so much that we go to church, it's that we are the church, right? You, like, wherever you go, the church is happening. Church is in session, right? It, wherever you go, through the Holy Spirit, like, Christ is present. And that's the call. That's the call. And so my, my hope is as we go through this book that we could really start to grasp and get into the details of what would, what would it mean to be strangers to the surrounding culture and then to understand that we're seeds planted by God. That's where we're going. I pray for you.
Lord Jesus, uh, we have been um, too comfortable, too comfortable, too accustomed to the evil around us, too at peace with the venom and the hatred in our culture, too at ease with the lies and the slander and the backstabbing. Holy God, would you make a stranger to these strangers to these evil ways? Would you make us strangers to what is worst in our culture? And as we apprentice ourselves to the Lord Jesus, make us seeds. Seeds of peace in the midst of violence and militarism. Seeds of hope in the midst of despair and a creeping meaninglessness that threatens to swallow our culture whole. Seeds of love and compassion when we are tempted towards retaliation and defensiveness. Make us strangers and seeds, Lord. Amen.